Righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. See, we're on display and we are exposing and living out the reality, and we are contagious because Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not just supposed to be on display, but we are supposed to be radically contagious. Jesus completely changed the way we as humans lived when he came to earth to die in our place for our sins. His love for us led him to a cross and we were set free to live in his grace. Pastor Daniel reminds us today that this love is not meant to be hidden away. Everywhere we go, we need to display Jesus' love and life mission for all to see. Our love for Jesus should be contagious. People should have no doubt in their mind who we live for. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message, Growing by Knowing. Jesus is when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, we have to realize Jesus is the light. We are the reflection. How do I know this? Well, If you were to look in John's gospel, in John chapter 8, verse 12, or John chapter 9, verse 5, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. In both of these places, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But now he says, you are the light of the world. So Jesus is the light, and we are the reflection of this light. How do I know this? I know this by Genesis chapter 1. If you want, you can turn there with me. Just keep your finger there in Matthew 5. Just turn to the, almost probably the first page of all of your Bibles, or at least the first text page. Genesis chapter 1, it says this in verse 14. Genesis 1, 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. In verse 16, it says, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God made the greater light to rule the day. What's the light that rules the day? The sun, right? Fascinating, the sun. I know we spell it S-U-N, but imagine that the sun, Jesus, S-O-N. What's the light that rules the night, the lesser light? The moon. Does the moon generate its own light? No. What does the moon do? It reflects the light of the sun. (laughs) Do you think that's by chance? No. Because Jesus is the light of the world. He's the sun. He is the light generator. And our job is to reflect that light just like the moon does to the sun. That is what we do. We are meant to be reflections of the light of Jesus in the world. And that's how we're the light of the world. A lot of people say, oh, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? 
And that's a great little song. And people love to sing it, even not Christian people. But the reality is, is that when we sing that song, we're really saying, I'm going to be reflecting the light of Jesus and his light is my light. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have different hues or different filters. So maybe I'm red hot or something like that. And so when the light of Jesus comes through me, it comes through red. Maybe you're a blue. Maybe you're a green. Maybe you're a mauve. (laughs) And I'm not knocking mauve. That sounds so New Jersey, mauve. Get some mauve. The key is it doesn't matter what the refraction is through your life as long as it is the light of Jesus that is reflecting through your life. It doesn't matter what the color scheme is because we're all created unique in the eyes of God. But the key is that he is the light and we are the reflection. He is the light. He wants to reflect himself into the world through us. So he says, you are the light of the world. And then look what he says. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, as light, we are to be on display and contagious. As light, we are to be on display and contagious. I get the on display from the middle of verse 14 and verse 15. First, Jesus says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you were to be sitting on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Capernaum, which means the town of Nahum, but we know it as Capernaum. It's funny, when Lynn and I, we went to Israel and we jumped in a taxi and I was pretty sick. I ate some funky falafel in the bus station. It was a little rough. You know, it was good falafel, but it was funky on the, uh, after a couple of minutes, I was like, whoa. So we get in this taxi and I'm all white and sweating and Lynn's there and Obadiah was like one years old. And I'm like, can you take us to Capernaum? You know, and the guy's just like, huh? Capernaum, I mean, it's all over my Bible. And he's like looking at us like, and I looked terrible anyway, so we looked at me sideways too, you know? And he's like, oh, Kafer Nahum. It's interesting because Kafer is the word city or town, and Nahum is the prophet Nahum. You didn't know that about your Bible, Capernaum, Kafer Nahum. Mark that down, enjoy it later. But if you, <laughs> if you go to what we know as Capernaum, and you're sitting there on where a lot of people believe this Sermon on the Mount took place, if you were to turn around and look over your shoulder, there is the city of Safad sitting on the hill. Couldn't miss it. It was there in Jesus' day. So Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And he probably just turned around and pointed at Safad on that hill. A city on it. You can't hide that city. It's there. And then he uses this other example where he says, look, no one lights a light and puts it in a basket. When was the last time, you know, we have lights on our ceilings. We have them on big pillars or on a coffee table. We don't just take a light and stick it in the drawer and turn it on. Yeah, I got light in there. (laughs) See, as light, we're supposed to be on display. That city on that hill couldn't be hidden. A light on the lampstand, you can't be like, I mean, imagine you have this beautiful light, this beautiful lamp, antique, and it shines bright. And, you know, you walk in that and be like, someone's like, oh, I like your lamp. There's no lamp in there. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, no, there's not. I don't have a lamp in that room, but there is a lamp on the lampstand. Brothers and sisters, as the reflections of the light of Jesus, we're supposed to be on display. How many of us are secret Christians? If I went to your neighbor 
and said, hey, so-and-so goes to the church that I'm a part of. They go to church? Now, I'm not saying that we need to be, you know, you know, Christians where it's like we're just, everyone has to know we're Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? We don't want to be God's peculiar people in that way. <laughs> but would to God that the people around us would know that we walk with Jesus, that we're not ashamed to say, look, I've put my hope in Jesus. And why haven't you? We're supposed to be on display like a city set on a hill, like a lamp on a lampstand, but not only on display, but we're also supposed to be contagious. We're supposed to be contagious. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 11. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. See, we're on display and we are exposing and living out the reality and we are contagious because Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not just supposed to be on display, but we are supposed to be radically contagious. That people will see your life and my life and they'll catch this Jesus bug. That's what the Jesus movement was all about. I wasn't even alive for it. But when I hear the stories of the people who all of a sudden, these hippies were getting turned on to Jesus and they were going out to other people and they're like, man, you got to come check this out. And they're living radically different lives. They used to be, you know, druggies and, and craziness. And now all of a sudden they're like, look, I'm on fire for Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And nothing's going to stop me from following Jesus. And all of a sudden this thing, this Jesus bug runs like wildfire throughout a whole generation. And guess what? We need a whole new viral experience of Jesus today. We need to see Jesus go viral through this community, through this nation, through this globe. Sure, it will look different than it did in the 60s. We're not bringing bell bottoms back. Now we call them boot cut and they're a little bit more, you know. But the reality is, is that there needs to be a groundswell, contagious viral movement of the gospel in Clark County in 2012. And how do you catch a disease? You get it from somebody. I remember when I was young, before they had the chicken pox vaccine, when my sister got chicken pox, we were all sharing water. Because my mom's like, look, you're all going to get it now because it's worse if you get it later. We all, man, me and my two sisters and all of our neighbors, we're all chicken pox together. <laughs> I know that probably sounds sick and cruel and unusual nowadays, but that's the way they used to do it, Right? Brothers and sisters, listen, the people around you are going to catch the Jesus bug from you. Are you willing to be contagious for Jesus? Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and they'll glorify our Father in heaven. When was the last time you said, Lord, make me contagious for Jesus? The problem is, is most of us are contagious for negativity. Everyone's negative and we're negative too. Everyone's grumpy, we're grumpy too. No, 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 no. We got a new disease. Why don't you ever say amen to that, right? Amen. amen. And that disease is Jesus. And he's transforming us from the inside out. And we want to be contagious. 
Do you realize that if each one of us in this church just gave the Jesus disease to one person, this church would double in size? Imagine if we gave it to two people, three people, five people. Could you imagine this? Man, let's say, Lord, go viral through my life. Go viral through my life. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Brothers and sisters, I pray we take heed to this because we live in a world that is virally negative. Do all things without complaining and disputing. It's amazing. Some people want to take the teachings of Jesus and make everything a division, a judgment. It's amazing. I don't even get it. I mean, Jesus who died to reconcile us to God, why do we want to be part of the more disputing, more complaining, more grumpiness? When we get all this in Jesus as well. Oh, God wants us to be blameless. Living without fault. Shining like lights in this world. Would to God that as lights we would be on display and contagious. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from this law till all is fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, listen. Jesus fulfills God's word. Over and over in these two verses, we have this concept of fulfillment. Jesus fulfills God's word. Now, this is important because we know that Jesus came and he changed things. He was new wine in a new wineskin. And it'd be very easy to say, oh, Jesus destroyed the Old Testament. For a long time in the church in America, people were New Testament Christians, quote unquote. They didn't even have an understanding of the Old Testament. No one ever talked about it. Like, oh, it's not like that anymore. We don't need that stuff. And that's why we're doing a Thursday night study. So that we can see how much Jesus shows up in these chapters. Oh, look at this. Look how this means this. Look at Jesus fulfills God's word. Jesus didn't come to destroy it, to do away with it. He came to bring it to its fulfillment. So much so, he says, heaven and earth will pass away. Before that happens, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away. That word jot, it's an old word. It's literally a transliteration of the Hebrew letter yod, which is just like an apostrophe. So even the smallest letter, he says, and that word tittle, what that means, that means a stroke. It's the difference between a capital P and a capital R. What's the difference? Just a stroke, right? That one little diagonal one going down. Jesus said, look, Heaven and earth isn't going to pass away until every single letter, every single stroke of a letter is going to be fulfilled. That's kind of cool, isn't it? I don't know about you. That makes me want to dive into my Bible. How is Jesus fulfilling all of this stuff? How is he fulfilling all of this stuff? You know, and people often struggle with, if this is the case, what do we do with the law? And I want to encourage you, Galatians chapter 3, it's a great passage. Listen to what it says. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. 
Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law that could have truly given life, righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the idea is the reason God gave the law was to be a tutor, to show us our need for Jesus. So if you read the law, if you come out on Thursday nights and study along with us, as we get into the law, you're going to find in all these ways, ooh, I fall short there. Ooh, I fall short there. Not just of the letter, but of the spirit of the law as well. And as you keep falling short, you say, who will save me from this body of death? And that tutor ushers us right into the arms of Jesus. Because the law is God's standard for righteousness. And I have news for you. God's standard for acceptance is not that you're a better person than Adolf Hitler or Charles Manson. That's how most people feel. They feel, I am a good person if I am better than the worst possible person I can find. And we think that God grades on a curve. Like, these people are horrible, and I'm better than that person, and so I'm good. But God doesn't grade on a curve. God's standard is absolute perfection. So, you know, if you really want to discern your goodness, don't judge yourself against Adolf Hitler or Charles Manson or somebody else who you really don't like. Judge yourself against the perfect life of Jesus. That's the standard. And we all come and say, oh, God, help me. And we run into the arms of Jesus. That's why people don't believe in Jesus today. Because they think that they're good based on if they're better than the lowest possible denominator. And Jesus, he is this acceptable lamb of God because he fulfills it all. He walked righteous in it. Now, it's interesting with all of this, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. You're the salt. You're the light. You can imagine the Pharisees standing there and just being like, yep, mm-hmm. It's amazing. The religious leaders, they probably thought to themselves, yeah, mm-hmm, check me out. Unfortunately, when you read this stuff in church, a lot of Christians have the issue of the Pharisees. Where they read this stuff, I am the salt. All of my neighbors hate me because I slammed the Bible down their throat. I am the light of the world. Nobody wants to talk to me. I'm rejected for Jesus' sake. Oh, I don't do that like those people do. A lot of us struggle with this self-righteousness. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, this is verse 19, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus just took the shining example of what righteousness by the law was and said, look, look, unless you are more righteous than those guys, you don't get in. These two verses teaches us so important that Jesus divorces us from our self-righteousness. Jesus divorces us from our self-righteousness. This is what happens. It's happened to all of us. 
If you're here born again, you came to Jesus and you said, Lord, I'm in need of you. You came needy. Then you get born again by his spirit. And then God starts to clean your life up. And then you go from coming to Jesus needy to saying, look how good I've become. And we judge everybody who does all these sinful things, forgetting that the only reason we still don't do those things is because of the grace of God. And for so many of us, we go from being sinners in need of a savior to being self-righteous. If you were to go out in the Clark County and just say, one adjective, one characteristic when you think of Christians, I guarantee you eight out of 10 of them are going to say self-righteous. And you know what? They're probably right. They are probably right. Because we went and we came and we said, Lord, I need your help. And then he cleaned us up and then we looked down on everybody. Oh, so horrible. It'd be like blind Bartimaeus getting healed of his blindness and then going and beating every blind person. You're blind, you're blind. When the only reason we're not blind is because of the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, listen. No matter how good of a Christian you are, the only reason you're in the kingdom is because of the blood of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we should sin, that grace may abound. I am saying that even our good works are as filthy rags to God. Us on our best day are still radically in need of the grace of God. Some of us need to repent for the first time, turn to God for the first time from our own style of life. A lot of others, we need to repent of our good works because you've been doing good. And God has changed your life. But in God's transformative work, we cannot stand in the judge's seat looking down on people because they do X, Y, or Z. You've heard the old proverb, if it were not for the grace of God, there go I. I could bore you with stories of how awful I was before Christ. And you know what? I can even more bore you with stories of how awful I've been since I've known Christ. Or I can wow you with a greater story, which is that with all those awful stories, Jesus still loves me. And he still loves you. We need to repent of our self-righteousness. Corporately as a church, individually, We need to remember that we need the gospel of Jesus as much today as on the day we got saved. That we need to extend a gracious hand to people who are outside of Christ, not judging them for their faults. They don't even know that they're making mistakes because the spirit of God is not in them to convict them. And brothers and sisters, if we are not the salt of the earth, the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors we are not the light of the world that's on display and contagious but instead if we are self-righteous judgmental Jesus is not shown to be all the gloriousness that he is through our lives Jesus is Jesus has given us a brand new life, and because of that, we can create change in the world around us. Today, Pastor Daniel reminded us to display our relationship with Jesus to everyone we meet. Our passion for Jesus can create a contagious curiosity in others. 
Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks for that information, Tracy. Throughout the month of July, we'd like to offer all the Jesus is Real Radio listeners a copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly, getting real about Jesus and our messy lives. We'll send a free copy of this book as a thank you to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner for more information. Now, here's what's coming up in the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio when we discover just how radically Jesus lived his life. Jesus takes normal human responses to adversity and turns them completely upside down. Pastor Daniel will encourage us to live this radically too. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series, The Mission Growing. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.